My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. My guest today is the dynamo Kyra Altman. I've had the good fortune of knowing Kyra for a number of years, including serving as her coach for a period of time. And it's safe to say that she is one of the most remarkable young people I've ever met. She's also one of the most remarkable people, period, young or old that I've ever met. And the reason for that is she brings herself to her mission and her work wholeheartedly and fully in a way that is too rare in our dominant economic context where most of us are asked to produce, perform, be perfect, achieve without revealing any of our vulnerability or our weaknesses or our fears. And Kyra, who is currently the full-time CEO and co-founder of a international nonprofit, shows up in her work in a way that is fully human and invites all of the people that she works with and serves to also be fully human. She founded LEAD, which stands for Let's Empower, Advocate, and Do. She founded it 10 years ago as a 15-year-old high school student. Today, the organization brings what she calls no-fluff mental health education to workplace, workplace communities of every stripe around the planet. She travels the world speaking about the impact of social entrepreneurship on trauma survivors, the importance of mental health education, of destigmatizing mental illness, particularly in vulnerable communities. And she is a champion for the idea that, well, not everyone has mental illness. Everyone can improve mental health. And all of us live in contexts that are producing pain and suffering and that we can all contribute to the reduced reduction of that pain and suffering and how we treat each other and how we treat ourselves and how we build places where people are invited to show up in the way that she does. This conversation explores how she does that as a leader in her own organization and also how she does that in her work with other organizations through clear communication, through boundary setting, through empowering messaging that speaks to the beauty and possibility we can create if we are willing to face all of the problematic structures in place in, uh, in many organizations and in many corners of our society today. She's also the recipient of like a gajillion awards. I won't list them all here, but, but go check her out on LinkedIn. Go check her out at the lead website has just been, is one of the most remarkable change makers I know. And so fun to have her on the show. She brings this wonderful spirit of playfulness and creativity and possibility to all of her work. So if you care about mental health, mental well-being, if you care about building organizations and societies that are more humane and uh, more accessible for every person and every body, this conversation is for you. So let's get settled in. <sighs> and hear what Kyra has for us. Kyra, welcome. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. It's really a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. And I really would rather be nowhere else in the world right now than right mm. here. With you. So mm. I'm very excited to be here as well. Mm. 
I receive that with, uh, like I deeply receive that. And then the part of me goes like, Oh, like shit, I better, this better be really good. I hope she feels that way. But when we're done, <laughs> no pressure, all good, all yeah. good vibes yeah. here. All good. Right on. So Kyra, um, I want to start with what I experience as a really lovely balance or maybe even paradox about your work and how you show up in the world. And um, let me see if I can say this really clearly as a jumping off point. You, from by many standards, a very early age, decided to build a nonprofit to help people, particularly educators, but really many people, organizational leaders, educators, healthcare, like anyone who helps other people in some way or is with other people in some way, think more intentionally about mental health. And the word mental mm -hmm. health come, can come with a heaviness to it or a scariness to it, like, or even a stigma mm -hmm. to it. And, and part of your work is actually about destigmatizing it, which is really mm -hmm. beautiful. So sort of there's this kind of like real deep sense of purpose that you've been walking since you were a college student. And, and then also I love that on LinkedIn, your, your sort of title is instead of chief executive officer is chill executive officer. And so there's yeah. just this like this, this so, deep passion and this chill. And I wonder if you could tell, say more about that yes. and why that's important to you to hold both of those. Yes. So I actually founded LEAD in high school when I was a sophomore in high school. And wow. 10 years wow. later, about we're an international mental health literacy organization. Um, we have trained on multiple continents. We're just, my, my heart explodes when I think about how far we've been able to reach at this point. Um, so there's a few things you mentioned. First, chill executive officer. Why is that? Well, I really bring a sense of intentionality to my leadership and a sense of intentionality to the role that I play at lead. I don't view it as, yep, I co-founded this and now I deserve to be in charge and bossing everyone around and this and that. I 100% know because I've worked with hundreds of people over the last 10 years that have helped lead become what it is. And so when I lead, I lead through the lens of, all of the people that helped us get there and through a lens of how do we continue to bring more people into this and not make it just mine. I want mm. lead to mm. be there beyond me and I want it to exist beyond me. And that might be one of the reasons why it has grown so quickly mm. on the other side of things. The other reason that I um, changed my title from chief executive officer to chill executive officer, because that only happened about a year ago, is because LEAD many years ago started diving into the diversity, equity, and inclusion space and that training bubble. Mm. And within that space, we learn about how many words and phrases are actually taken from historically marginalized communities and just plastered mm. into these very white structured, you know, privileged spaces. So the word chief actually comes from indigenous culture and indigenous nations and tribes. So why am I as a non-indigenous person and not someone with all of the cultural resonance and, and, and like importance of that title within indigenous culture, why would I have that title? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. part of that change was one, not exploiting literally a group of people that that term is very near and dear to their heart and bigger than, oh, the boss, mm -hmm. but also mm -hmm. the chill of, I am chill in that I want this to be a community led initiative. I want this to be a team led initiative. And in order to do that, you have to bring a level of chill, calm and intentionality to every meeting that you have. Mm, mm, mm. I'm struck. I haven't been until this moment, and I'm sure you have thought about this, but I'm struck that that your organization is called LEAD. And it stands for let me make sure I get this right. Let's let's empower, advocate and do. And it feels yeah. to me like that's also your definition of leadership, which is like, let's let us, let us empower, mm -hmm. which is to like, take the power that's in us and bring it out, advocate right. for each other, for what we care about, and then do something about it. 
Yeah. I mean, a big thing that we say all the time is we want to move people from awareness into action or even from words and beyond words into action. Um, And something that you said earlier, also, I want to speak to that. You were mentioning the heaviness that sometimes is associated with mental health. And I want to pause and encourage anyone listening to actually challenge that narrative Mm -hmm. because mental health, in my mind, is completely positive. It's attainable. You, we all have mental health, just like we all have physical health. And that is a goal for us to be constantly aspiring to. I think mental illness is what people get uncomfortable Mm. around. Mm. And part of that uncomfortability shows itself in talking about mental health as if it's mental illness. Mm. So we sometimes confuse those phrases, but I think it's, Why I say this is because LEAD is not only wanting to empower folks who already are struggling with a mental illness or some serious mental health challenges, getting them to the help that they need, but it's also about telling every single human being that walks this earth that you also can improve your mental health and be happier and feel more fulfilled if you do a few little new things in your daily life. Mm. Um, and that I think, is also the beauty of what we teach. It kind mm. of hits that whole mm. spectrum. Mm. Mm. Okay. I definitely want to go deeper into that. I'm also mm. aware that I didn't fully acknowledge this beautiful insight you had about um, appropriation around the word chief and around. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I think I've, I want to honor to the extent that I can within the knowledge I have, I want to honor how much wisdom I'm aware of in cultures that care for each other a lot better than I see us caring for each other in this kind of dominant Western capitalist culture. I mean, even an individualistic, individualistic. Yeah. There's a, and, and uh, I read a book a few years ago by a white journalist, but he did some deep research into what we might call tribal identity or belonging and the, and the, and even today in our individualistic society, we talk about the negatives of tribalism, tribalism. And, but like there is, he went into like, what is it about belonging that's so important? And uh, he honored in a way that these cultures, first, first nation cultures here and the Americas and, and many other cultures who have more of an egalitarian and collective way of treating each other are healthier. Like there are no, there were very, very little, little evidence of people having what we might be classified in, as depression or what might be classified as mm-hmm. mental illness. Uh, mm-hmm. And if they did, those people were cared for deeply by everyone in the tribe. And in fact, he even shares a story, a number of stories of people coming from, from white colonies who were quote unquote kidnapped by the Mm -hmm. tribes only to discover that when they were found, they're like, I don't want to go back to that. Like here, I belong here, here. Finally, they see me as a person, even despite the fact Mm -hmm. about how different I look and the strange clothes I wear. And, and like all of that, all the things we get so obsessed about in our culture, they were just like, Oh, as long as you can, as long as you can follow the rules of, of egalitarian care and respect, like you can be with us. And, and I just, mm-hmm. so I just really want to like name that in a way you're embodying in your chill leadership, something approximating, or at least kind of honoring mm-hmm. uh, an approach to leadership that Definitely. has some pretty ancient roots. Definitely. I think it's honoring. And I think it's also having an appropriate amount of separation to know what is truly what is inspired by those characteristics versus stolen or copied or not actually copied at all. Because I think also, if you think about how many times people in society use the the phrase tribe, like, oh, this is my tribe of people. Mm. If we think about the level of intentionality and the culture and the love and the compassion and the actions that go into an actual indigenous tribe or nation's community, you saying, oh, these are just my tribe of people because we all like avocado toast, <laughs> right? Completely, yeah. completely downplays that that level of connectedness. I also think 
in the DEI space. Um, we do a lot of work in workplaces and inclusion, including inclusion of folks in the LGBTQIA2S plus community. And within that community, we also know that transgender folks have existed for thousands mm, of years. Mm-hmm, and actually, mm-hmm. we have stories that in some of these original nations in the Americas, we had folks that were considered third gender um, and similar to transgender. And not only were these folks accepted completely, they were honored. They were celebrated. They were built up on this amazing level because they often were in charge of births and deaths and these huge, important ceremonies Mm. within the culture and and communities. Mm. And then, of course, European colonists came over and we know many of them were actually um, within that community themselves because we have diary entries from the ships and the boats that, you know, say this. But they came over and they decided we're going to go out and kill anyone that is third gender because it's different than what we know. Mm. And not only was that killing innocent human beings that can bring so much to this world, it was also completely erasing an important role in these communities that they depended on. Mm. So there's so much of that history, too, that really just... It, it saddens me, but it also inspires me in that I do think we have so much to learn from this, from indigenous culture. We just have to be careful to do it in the right way. Yeah. One thing that, that thank you for that. And one thing that emerges to kind of land back in your statement about mental health and, uh, and care is this recognition that uh, of course, and one of the most common phrases in our individualistic culture around mental health is the phrase self-care. But what you Mm -hmm. and I are talking about are are historical and present day examples of community care where um, people celebrate each other's strengths and amplify Mm -hmm. them. And also Mm -hmm. when people are hurting or in trouble physically, spiritually, emotionally, Uh, They're not told like, oh, well, your problem is that you don't meditate enough or that you don't exercise enough or whatever. They're they're, they're taken care of by the community. Mm -hmm. So this sort of even that like kind of message of like self-care can be so uh, devious kind of. If you it's individualistic, if you view self-care as being as not including social connectedness and support. And one thing that's really interesting is we work with a lot of adults who serve youth. So in summer camps and schools and youth sports and so on. And one of the things we always share with them, especially when we're talking about trauma, is that trauma or traumatic events is one of the most powerful risk factors for a young person to develop a mental illness. But social support and trusting at least one adult as a young person is the number one most powerful protective factor for mental Mm. health. Mm. So thinking about the power of just trusting and having connection with one human being, one mentor, one adult, that is just as powerful or more powerful sometimes than a traumatic event might be in Mm. the other Mm. direction. Mm. So that also, every Mm. time I share that with folks, it, it... just blows my mind a little bit. And I tell them like, you are the best thing that could happen to this young person. Mm. Right. And like mm. that in itself is so beautiful and powerful and earth shattering. As mm. Well. Mm. Gosh, there's so many directions I want to go in here. Let me take a minute. I know. To... I know. Mm. We can, mm. well, we can do this again. Anytime you want. <laughs> Because I love it. This conversation. I can tell you're the the um the like energy moving through you as you as you share these these different sort of I don't know if we want to call them like wellsprings or rivers or sort of sources of knowledge and wisdom about how we're made and how we make each other is really beautiful and um. You know, I, I I would like what I'm in touch with as we play in this sort of sandbox of kind of history and wisdom that still exists despite f- the sort of fearful kind of attempts to kill it out or to repress it or to convert it or to change it is like we now many of us live uh, 
And when I say us, I guess I mean people who have grown up inside this dominant economic cultural system. There's this like longing for the kind of belonging that you're describing of like, just there's like one person who I I know I can trust implicitly or a group of people where I can really feel safe and at home. And, and unfortunately most of us uh, or many of us spend most of our days in context where that's just not true. It's like, you have a job, go do your job. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't talk about your emotions. What is this therapy? This isn't a therapy. You're, you're, you're here to do mm-hmm. something, get it done. And so like what I understand your work to be doing is to actually like push pretty radically against uh, these organizational cultural structures that treat people purely as a role, as a sort of like specific thing to contribute to something Mm -hmm. greater, quote unquote, greater, uh, but not really human. It's just sort of this bottom line. And that just feels like pretty revolutionary, radical, like pretty mm-hmm. and hard. Like that feels like you're, yeah. you're working against pretty strong forces that are saying yeah. that your work is, is crazy and not worthwhile. And that's something to do in the privacy mm-hmm. of your own home. And you're saying like, no, you actually, as a leader, you need to know about this stuff. It's very difficult. And I will also tell you that we've been doing mental health work for 10 years and we've been doing DEI work, diversity, equity, and inclusion work for maybe half of that time. And that is actually where we get hired the most. And it's not, and in my mind, you can't have one without the other. So any DEI work that we do is through a lens of mental health, but it is frustrating, you know, as somebody with mental illnesses who like, I'm, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you take it so personally. So for 10 years fighting this fight and saying like, why don't you value this? And then separating that from why does that feel like you don't value me? Right. Like that separation has also taken me a long time Mm. because it is Mm. frustrating Mm. and it Mm. is overwhelming. Um, Another thing that I think is really interesting is when we first started LEAD, um, we were really focused on helping youth because I was a youth, which made a lot of sense at the time. Now that I'm an adult, and also now that we realize there's a lot more money, right, for operations in the adult space, as we've gone into that space, I have been shocked by how much more adults need us than maybe even the youth of today. And I think a lot of people might... um, challenge me on that. But I can tell you most of the conversations I have with young people, they are socially and emotionally intelligent. They are thoughtful. They are social justice oriented. Like they have so much going for them. Meanwhile, I go into a company with adults all over the age of 30. Nobody even knows how to apologize or how to be vulnerable or how to ask somebody how they're feeling or even to actively listen. And all of these things we expect people to just know how to do Hmm. and they don't. And the reason they don't is because no adult has taught these adults how to do those things. So I think one of the special things about lead is we are trying to, we are trying to normalize teaching of these skills that do help everyone improve their mental health and also connect us to one another. Hmm. And it, it, but it's really been a surprise. I did not think there was going to be so much need in the adult space. And I see more need there most Hmm. of the time than even in youth. So it's really fascinating. It's fascinating to do this work. My sense of the the landscape that you're in is that over the past decade, it's it's changed quite a lot, and and doors have opened that maybe ten years ago wouldn't have. And I I sense that in part that's because you're one of uh, of a number of folks who care about this who are opening those doors or finding ways to open them. And I also sense that the pandemic in particular, the COVID nineteen pandemic in particular, and also more generally like a I just, a lot of people looking around going like, is this really it? Like, this kind of sucks. And like, there's like a, like more people seem ready and hungry and willing to say, how can I make organizations that 
care about the people who are the organization and that empower the people who are the organization. And I just, mm-hmm. what's your sense of, of that cultural shift? That's oh, yeah. Well, I will tell you it's, and this is really personal thing, but I, when I founded lead 10 years ago, my heart was with the mission of supporting, helping, empowering others. And over the last, I would say three to four years that has completely flip-flopped. Um, I, still obviously have a strong passion and a mission to help and empower others. But the flip-flop has come in that I have realized as an entrepreneur, as a social entrepreneur, I have the unique privilege of creating a workplace that I want to exist in this world. And also the privilege of offering that workplace to other people, my team members, my colleagues, my coworkers. And so building a workplace that can support them mentally, physically, financially, that has actually become more intrinsically desired in my heart because I think that there's Mm. so much power Mm. in seeing it actually happen, Mm. right? Being able to say, this does exist and I know it because I'm literally in it. We're working this, we're living this and breathing it. So I think that that has been really special. I also personally don't think that a business should be in operation if it can't afford to pay its people correctly and fairly um, and not just fairly well, right? Like why, why aren't we paying people well? And especially in the social sector, in the nonprofit sector, there's this idea that if you're doing good, you should be paid poorly. When in reality, I personally think if you're doing good, why wouldn't you be paid way more than the people that are not really doing good and just making money and, and sitting there, right? Or exploiting others. So there's so many of these societal narratives that we need to continue to challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the Wonder Dome does a wonderful job of that. And I, I am humbled that you think I am one of the people also helping to change that because that feels bigger than I feel, mm. but, um, mm. but I appreciate that. And I, I do think we're moving in the right direction. Mm. Mm. So t- maybe take us into, if I, if I worked at lead yeah, and I was like, yeah, I work at this company lead and you know, our CEO, which by the way, is our chill executive officer, not our chief executive yep. officer, <laughs> is, right? you know, in her, Mid to late twenties, um, and has Not like even. I'm twenty six. Yeah. Okay. So you're like twenty six years old. I don't even. That's a lie. I'm twenty five. <laughs> that's a complete lie. Wow. I'm twenty five, <laughs> and I've been doing this since I was fifteen. You've been doing it since you were fifteen. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. so what's different uh, aside from some of that that stuff that like just on paper people are already going like well, that's different, right? Like that's a little chill executive officer, like, okay. Like, Mm -hmm. and, but like, oh, you work there. What would I be telling people about my experience uh, of working for lead? What are the things you're doing differently to, as you said, like really build a place that walks the walk? Oh, great question. So many things. And also there's so much room to grow too. So I can also tell you, like, I think one of the special things about Leeds culture is we are, we are lifelong learners. So yes, we're so proud of the culture we've developed, but we're constantly trying to improve it and make it better and challenge the good that we already have to make it even better. And that is part of the culture we have. Other specific tangible things include we do yoga together on Zoom a few days a week at lunchtime. And so we'll do yoga, then we'll go have our own lunch break. But for a virtual and remote team, that's one of the ways we stay connected with each other. We also all share a Headspace app. So we all can use that for meditation and for other supports in Mm -hmm. our life. We also have just to pause real quick on, on that. Sorry that like it like that shared app, I would imagine gives you like, oh, like. Kyra is meditating right now, or, or, or we have all, we've all meditated collectively a hundred hours this month, or there's some kind of like, so we, we, oh, I hope Headspace isn't listening, but we have one Headspace account that we share. So same login just for money reasons. But with that said, it is funny because we'll, I'll show up to meetings and I'll have an intern be like, Hey, Kyra, you weren't sleeping very well last night, huh? I saw that you were uh, listening to all the sleep meditations. And I'm like, yep, thanks for calling me out. <laughs> so that definitely happens. Um, and we, we encourage that. We also have unlimited paid time off. Like we treat 
adults and humans like adults who can balance when they need to take a break or when they need to take care of their family or whatever else and when they need to work. Mm. And we know through statistics that when you have unlimited paid time off, your employees actually take less time off than if you had a limited amount of time. And so for that reason, we actually require time off once a quarter. So we require our employees to Mm. take a week off Mm. once every quarter of the year. Mm. And so little things like that, looking at the data, looking at how we can make that real is big. I think another piece of it is how we operate with our clients and our community partners. So to give you an example, right now, we just hired two more people because we're growing faster than we can keep up with. And one of my go-to right-hand woman, Michaela, she's our director of community outreach. She does all of our sales. She, her phone is ringing off the hook And so we actually initiated together, I helped her draft an email that basically is called the beyond capacity email. And Mm -hmm. it says to clients or to people that are reaching out, hey, thank you so much for reaching out. We appreciate your interest. Right now, the earliest I can talk with you is two weeks from now or three weeks from now because we're a bit beyond capacity until we onboard these other folks. This is for my self-care so I can better serve you in the long run. Mm -hmm. And we really Mm -hmm. appreciate Mm -hmm. your understanding. And not only does it allow Michaela to feel empowered and in control of her schedule, so she's not overworking, but it also models to our clients that we're not just saying this stuff, right? Like we actually do it and we've had people reach out to us and be like, wow, like that, that's incredible. I also, another example is when we're out of office, the email literally has links to the benefits of taking time off. We mentioned, yes, Taking time off is never convenient, but we still do it because of ABC. Mm. And then Mm. we also will say at the end, if it's an emergency, call 911 and ask for the crisis intervention team. So we're also saying, if you think your email is an emergency, if it's really an emergency, Mm. you can call an emergency professional because we are taking time off. Mm. So I think setting all of those boundaries internally as well as caring about people, wanting to pay them well, wanting to show them appreciation. Last night, so Michaela just got a nice raise and and last night we had a movie night just to kind of celebrate her and we got Uber Eats on Leeds account and we just had a great time. So mm. I mm. think it's that stuff that mm. really stands out to me as making mm. us different. Mm. I could imagine some people listening to this going like straight to your website and seeing if you have any open positions right now. Well, we did just like we we have already finalized those candidates. So apologies to anyone that wants to work with us, but we're growing very quickly and that will continue. And so we will eventually have. More yeah. You need your, like, like you need your beyond capacity recruitment email. Like, thank you for your interest, you know, <laughs> We want, we wish every, we could employ every person in the world in this way. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll be yeah. in touch. And I will tell you one thing that really shocked me about this round of interviews that I've been spending the last few weeks doing is that every single person that has interviewed with us has a current job. And they're interviewing with a current job that they haven't given two weeks for. So that great resignation thing is real. Like mm. the people that are trying to mm. come to us they are trying to leave unhealthy or toxic environments. And one of the hardest things about interviewing is I, I really like all of the people, you know, like I, I resonate with them and I feel for them and I, I, those people are my people, right. They wouldn't be applying if not. And so it's really hard Mm. to Mm. keep saying no, even if they're not the right fit, just because I like them, you know, (laughs) um, I guess a good problem to have and a privileged problem to have, but something that is definitely a little bit of a challenge yeah. in what we do. Yeah. The great resignation as, as it has been called is some pretty clear evidence that those of us who have the privilege enough to have some kind of source of income that lets us like eat and sleep and kind of take care of the, the essentials are looking around going like, this is the, we're doing it all wrong. Like we're really doing it wrong. And, uh, Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure what my question is here, but I just sort of have a felt sense that, uh, in addition to teaching people how to take care of themselves and each other, in addition to 
building your own organization in a way that models what you teach. There is, um, I don't know if we want to call it a, a, a leadership crisis or a kind of political crisis or, a, um, but, but there are, let me put it another way. Another one of my guests, a really fantastic meditation practitioner who I learned from and studied with a guy named Sam Chase talked about how like, Hey, let's be honest. If we want to do something about climate change, for instance, there are about 50 companies in the world who have a, a tremendous outsized impact on that. So yeah, it's nice. Like, sure, we should all recycle, but like, come on, really? You're going to tell me it's on me to do this? And I feel like we're kind of talking about an analogous thing. We have this kind of crisis of well-being where people mm-hmm. are 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 certainly emotionally and spiritually suffering and maybe even physically suffering because our organizational cultures are so contorted. And um, I wonder how you relate to that. Like what's from where you sit, yeah. what's the work that we need to do with people who occupy significant positions of power who could maybe mm-hmm. like you say, I'm ready to do this differently. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So oh, I am with you in that it is, it is on the people in power, right? It is on the employers, on the companies. And that's one of the reasons why I feel like it is a privilege to be an entrepreneur, because as an entrepreneur, you have the choice. And I think a lot of times we act like we don't, but we do. Um, so I, I think that it is on us to create that. I think that there's also a piece of our culture right now that's not so healthy that makes it feel like it's all on the employer. And I don't necessarily agree with that at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think that people have a responsibility to themselves to if they are experiencing a mental illness and symptoms of it, which one in two people do, like this is not an uncommon thing. It's your job to seek out professional help. It's your employer's job to offer those resources to you and to set the stage so you can access them. But you still have to do that work. And I tell everyone, trying to find a therapist, trying to find professional help is freaking horrible, right? Like the mental health system as a whole is very broken and is very Mm. terrible. Mm. And I'm Mm. not going to lie to anyone and say, this is going to be an easy process. Mm. It's not currently right now trying to find a new therapist after mine retired and I'm multiple months out. Right. So Mm. like, this is Mm. not an easy thing. However, we do have responsibilities to ourselves to heal ourselves, to address unresolved traumas, to um, really look internally about the stories we tell ourselves. So am I worthy of self-care? Am I worthy of mental health? Am I worthy of a job that treats me nicely and that makes room for wellness? So I think asking those questions too is a big piece. I will also say some of our most popular workshops are teaching people those things we expect people to already know, like boundary setting, right? Mm -hmm. As an employee, you have to be able to set a boundary with an employer And maybe it's not, I'm not going to answer your emails after five, but maybe it's, you don't check your email after five, right? Like there, there are these, again, this, this, um, two-sided piece to mental wellness. It is on the employer and it's also on the individual to value themselves enough to set those boundaries and to ask for more for themselves. Okay. Good. I want. I want to. Uh, I want to stay with us, but I want to underline something that I really appreciate about what you're saying. Which uh, there's a framework that comes from kind of my coaching and leadership development world called um, from a group called the Conscious Leadership Group, and their idea is is essentially the responsibility framework. And the idea is that in a in our relationship, like right now, even as an example, I have a hundred percent responsibility as the host of this show to create a space where my guests can show up at, at their full gifts. And to the mm-hmm. extent that I'm able to do that, that's my responsibility. You, Kyra, are not, are not relinquishing your responsibility to bring your full self to the show, even if I'm not being a great host, right? Like to the extent that you right. have agency in this conversation, you also have a hundred percent responsibility over how this conversation goes. 
And, and what I appreciate about this framework is that we often in our, our cultural narrative have on one side people saying, like, you have to take responsibility for yourself and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And if you're not doing that, nah, you're, you're a loser, right? right? Like, that's sort of the cartoonish version of that narrative. And on the other side, uh-huh. we have people saying, no, like, we're all uh, part victims of this systemic complexity and, and we, we don't have agency and, and we need to solve this on the level of the system or else we're all going to keep – and they're both right. Like, right. It's an right? That's it's what you're saying. It's like, we're both, we yeah. both need to take responsibility for ourselves. And we, as, a, as people in power and systems need to take responsibility uh-huh. for what we're doing to individuals. And you're like saying, yeah. yep, that's it. Is that right? Yeah. A hundred percent. And I, I think that there's, um, I mean, also cancel culture is a, is a piece of today's life. And I think again, our idea, our societal narrative of you have to be perfect, especially in that social presence that you have, you have to be a perfect human is difficult because nobody is perfect. Now, I'm not saying that people who say horrible, racist, derogatory things should be not held accountable. They should 100%. But what I'm saying is I think human beings, and this is something I have seen with younger people too, they are quick to cancel and say, you made a mistake, so you are forever a bad person or Mm -hmm. a racist or Mm -hmm. this or that. And at the end of the day, I think we need to start separating people from their actions and words in the extent of trying to help educate them or help them do the work themselves. So saying, you know, what you just said was a racist thing and that really hit me in a wrong way. Here's how like here's how that landed on me. And let's talk this through so it doesn't happen again. I think we don't have the amount of compassion for each other that we want others to have for us. Mm, (laughs) And that mm, is mm, really problematic mm, because mm. we are all so imperfect, right? Mm. Like we are so far from perfect and that is what being human is about. Mm. So there's, there's that whole piece of this conversation. Yeah. Really appreciate you naming that, but I want to come back to the end. I want to come back to the leadership thing because I actually, let's now locate a person who, let's say is in the leadership role of a global company that impacts has thousands or tens of thousands of employees and impacts like thousands or hundreds of thousands or even millions of people around the planet. And they're up and they're just a person. They're just one person. So Mm -hmm. they're like playing with that both end. If you could get those 50 people those 50 individual human beings who who just so happen to be sitting in positions that ripple out quite widely into the lives of many, many millions of more of human beings, directly and indirectly. What would you what would you want to say to them around this uh, around this mission that you're standing for? Like yeah. what in particular could those people do in service of the question that we're, we're playing with today? That's a great question. I think I would encourage them to view their people, their staff as valuable, as the valuable, capable humans that they are and, and ask questions. So it's not necessarily just come work with lead and we'll solve all your problems, right? (laughs) It's instead, I mean, we'll solve some, but not all. Instead, it's saying to them, when was the last time you've asked your employees, what do you need from me, right? It's not, I think that I'm going to get everyone these cool gifts and do this thing and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's not about what you as a leader think that your team should have or what you need to do to fix the problem of the great resignation. It's about what does your team really need and want mm, personally? Mm, and and mm. really looking at people at an individual level versus at that collective, everyone's the same level because we're not. Mm. So I think that that would be my initial answer. Mm. Um, I mean, even at Lead, sometimes we have clients who are like, yeah, I don't really know what our employees want. And so we'll actually put together a very simple 30 second Google form that says, let's actually send out some ideas and let them choose, empower them, use their talents, their insights, and then leverage that to drive culture change. Mm, mm, mm. So there's, you're advocating, I'm hearing for a sort of stance of genuine curiosity 
about mm-hmm. the whole human being who might occupy a particular job in your company. And then to start to maybe, if you talk to all these people, start to surface some patterns around around areas of need that you can address really concretely to make mm-hmm. your company more resilient, more humane, more impactful. Is that right? Definitely. And I think it comes down to also a focus on equity over equality, not treating everyone the same, but giving people what they need in a very personal way. Mm. Mm. I hope I hope one day you get to have that conversation with those those 50 leaders and that some of them listen to you. Oh, you know what? We will. Yeah. Right. We will. We're going to put that out into the universe. We will. And and the thing is too, we're here and waiting. And I, I, we tell that to clients all the time. There are so many people that want our work, but they don't have the leadership behind them to give the budget. Right. There are people that come to us and say, we have $200. Can you do three weeks of work for us? No. Right. So if it's not time, if you're not ready, that's okay. We will be here for when you are ready. Like it's no judgment. It's we're here when you're ready, when you're ready to put money behind what you're saying and behind what you care about. And the checkbox approach is something I unfortunately still see all the time where somebody will come in, maybe even at one of these really high levels, and they'll say, yeah, like we just want to give everyone a 60 minute workshop on self-care techniques. Okay, we can do that. But you're not using a strengths-based approach and asking people what they already do for self-care. You're also asking people who are already overworked and have no free time to then find (laughs) time for self-care, right? So if there is not structural support that also complements the training we're providing, if they don't have the time and space to do it, all you're doing is checking a box and making them feel even more overwhelmed by what they have to do. So we have these conversations a lot and we still work with the clients that want the checkbox approach, but we are very transparent with them in that here are the limitations of what one workshop will do versus a continuing education approach where we're really looking at the individual staff that you're trying to help. Mm. So Mm. some food for thought Mm. there too. Mm. That actually sparks in me that's I sparks a lot and I want to underline the sort of tragedy of an organization that oh, reached a place where they want to help, but the way they want to help is by doing the thing that they were doing that made the problem in the first place, which is like we're just gonna throw more time, money, training mm-hmm. at this, and it's up to you, employee, to figure out how you're gonna fit this this required self-care workshop into your day that we've yep. already overscheduled for you. So just to underline that, and I love that you, part of your boundary setting that you do as an organization is also, is an act of education to say, mm-hmm. hey, look, I know you want this because you care. Like, I get it. I really see that you want to do things differently for your staff. And we have a great one-hour workshop that we can give you. Just right. so you know, it's not, if you keep doing this, this, and this, and this, the workshop is not right. going to make much of an impact. So how, yep. do you really want to make I'm an impact? Sure. If you're ready, here's how we can we can help you with that. That's like a beautiful stance. It's a powerful, high integrity stance to take that doesn't shame. That it says this is the place that we want to get you to, and so that's really cool. But actually, what that we what you, even, go ahead, yeah, Andy. If I can just pause. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. We even had a CEO a few months ago say to us, <laughs> "I'm laughing because it was so ridiculous." He said. We want the lead team to come in and provide one-on-one mental wellness coaching for our staff in a non-clinical way. Like we don't provide, well, we do provide clinical training, but they wanted the non-clinical version of it. So in a non-clinical way, come in, provide these coaching sessions with our staff. And I was like, yeah, definitely we can do that. And then he said, but here's the thing. If they start asking for unreasonable things like more time off or a four day work week or whatever, you just need to tell them that none of that is possible and that they should stop wanting all of those other benefits. (laughs) And I was like, hold on. Like I'm confused. Well, it was just, it was such a moment of, wait, what? Like I just, and not to say that we're, we're going to tell them, Oh yeah, you should show up at your boss's house with pitchforks. Like we're not going to do that either. But it was just such a mind blowing Mm. experience Mm. said in 
such a nonchalant way that I was like, are you hearing yourself yeah. right now? You sure. Know? We'll like, invest there. As long as I don't, as long as we don't have to change anything. Right. We'll invest right. some was, money we in making sure our team, team members know how to take care of themselves. Just as long as we don't have to change anything. Can you do that? Right. <laughs> and, and we basically said, yes and no, we'll tell you what we are willing to do. And yeah. We'll go on and, and we don't know if we'll be providing that coaching yet, um, but we'll see. And if yeah. not, that's okay. Like, again, we're not going to act like we're something that we're not. And we are not going to enable leaders who really are coming at it at a surface, in, in a surface level and in an inauthentic way. Because mm. let's be real, that's inauthentic. Mm. Right? Mm. So mm. if you genuinely authentic, authentically want to support your staff, we will empower you to do so. And I think that that's why I love my job. Too. Mm, mm, mm. We only have a few minutes left. Um, and the other thing I was going to say, I think feels still relevant, which is this readiness piece that you're pointing to. And you're talking about mm-hmm. like when an organization is ready, when they're actually willing to put the money and, and, and make some shifts in how they think about their day and their structure but I also want to honor that there's something really uh, at the level of a human being about readiness as well. And, and maybe as we kind of come to a close, we could speak to that. Uh, and, and let me, let me clarify as a coach, I am not a, I am not a clinician, but I mm-hmm. very much find myself working with my clients around what we might call questions of mental health and mental wellness. And Definitely. earlier early on in my practice, I found myself often seeing what at least seemed to me to be the answer to their problem. And um, after a lot of humbling experiences, realizing one, often I was wrong. And two, even if I was right, if they weren't ready, the answer wouldn't mean anything. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that there is a, um, if I understand my work well, when I'm able to show up in it well, I see myself as a, as a person who can hold space for the possibility of readiness so that when mm-hmm. the other person arrives to that readiness, the work can happen. You can't mm-hmm. rush it. You can't force it. But when they're there, magic is possible, like really beautiful healing yeah. and transformation and agency, choice-making can emerge. And I, I would just love to hear mm-hmm. you as Kyra the leader, as Kyra the human, as Kyra the advocate for a world where more people are ready and able to take care of themselves and each other? Like, how do you relate to this readiness? Sure. Oh, I have so many thoughts. Um, One, I think that society makes us doubt ourselves a lot Mm. of the time and encourages us to constantly be second guessing what we're doing, oftentimes because we're comparing ourselves to others. Not only is that also that holding us back from that readiness, but I also think that is a reflection of society's view that if you make a mistake, you are forever bad. So I think the fear of mistake making also holds us back from mm. feeling ready. Mm. If we were comfortable with our imperfections, with the fact that we will make mistakes, of course, how could we not? we may feel ready sooner. So I think that that is a piece here. I think the other thing is also looking at um, your, looking at your foundation of just safety and getting your basic needs met, which we don't often do. So Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if anyone's listening and doesn't know what that is, it's basically a, a sociological theory that if you don't get your, if you don't get healthy food and enough sleep and shelter and clothing and the basics, the basic needs met, there's no way you can continue up this hierarchy to a place of eventually self like fulfillment and Mm. um, empowerment and all of the connection. That stuff is after you get your basic needs met. Where I'm going with this is that we sometimes view or talk about self-care as if it is addressing, as if it's something extra or as if it's something involving basic needs. Let me clarify, because this is, I know that I'm going off on a tangent. We sometimes say, I'm going to eat a healthy meal. That's self-care. When did we decide, when did we decide that staying alive Keeping our body alive 
is self-care, right? Mm -hmm. If you get enough sleep, oh, that's self-care. What? That's keeping you alive. If we don't get enough sleep and enough healthy food and nutrients and whatever, we die. Like we Mm -hmm. are human Mm -hmm. beings. Mm -hmm. We are Mm -hmm. animals. Mm -hmm. So I think part of the readiness is also getting those foundational needs met Mm -hmm. and not Mm -hmm. viewing it as self-care. Self-care comes after right? You get the sleep, you get the healthy food, you get the time outside, you get time to play and spend time Mm. with others. Mm. And then you can maybe pursue increasing the pay for everyone on your staff, right? So from that leadership perspective, I also want to encourage leaders to care for themselves, knowing that you caring for yourself Mm. will allow you to then care for others, Mm. But you have to get those basic needs met, and you need to stop calling it self care. <laughs> Thank you, Kara. Beautiful. Um, yeah. I uh, I want to plant a seed. I forgot to before we started recording. I'm trying, uh, although I haven't been consistent. I'm trying to get consistent in inviting all of my guests to share what we might think of as a blessing or a benediction or um, like a poem or a quote or. Uh, Mm -hmm. something to sort of like speak to the spirit of our conversation. So I'm going to just plant that seed. And, and then as part of you thinks on something you might share, I also want to just give you a moment to say like, if I'm hearing you right now and I want to learn more about lead or about these practices that you speak about, I know you have a ton of webinars that you do. Many of them are free or very affordable. Where, where should I go to learn more about the work that you do? Yes. Okay. So I'll start with the first piece of what I want to leave everyone with. And I'm reading a favorite quote of mine, one that we often share in our workshops Mm. with participants. So this is a quote by Audre Lorde. And the quote is, caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. (laughs) right? Like Mm. goosebumps, right? Mm. Self-care is, is self-preservation. It's not self-indulgence and it's an act of political warfare. Like that, that is something to just sit with and digest Mm. for a moment Mm. and think about how, when you say to your employer, or when you say to your friend or family member, I need to do this for me. I need to set this boundary to protect my energy and my mental health you are in that simple act dismantling an entire system that is built on you burning yourself out. Mm. 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 And that is beautiful. That is Mm. magic. That is powerful. Um, Yeah. Okay. And then to answer your second question, if you are interested in working with LEAD or learning from us. So LEAD is one of our core values is accessibility. So we, first of all, tailor all of our pricing to the clients that we're working with to make sure if you're interested in inclusion-based or mental health training, it is accessible to you no matter what. So accessibility is big. Part of accessibility is we also have resource pages on our website that are specific to whatever industry that you're in that offer a wide variety of previously recorded free webinars um, as we also offer those once a month. So you can sign up and learn about those as well. And also other tools like mental health and DEI audits or um, guides, things like that. So lots of great free stuff online. Obviously, if you would like leads paid expertise and custom workshops, training, coaching, certification, you can reach out to us, info at leadnow.org. And the reason for that is because why wait? Lead now. We don't need to wait anymore. Let's (laughs) do it. So info at leadnow.org. And you'll get in touch with our incredible boundary setting team. So, so much love to everyone who is listening and just gratitude for you, Andy, as well on the Wonder Dome. Mm, Thanks, Kara. Will you read the quote one more time to formally close us out? Definitely. Audrey Lord, an incredible black woman um, in the U.S. Caring for myself is not self-indulgence. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. Mm. Audrey Lord. Mm. Oh, thanks, Kara. May we all 
preserve ourselves in each other and build a world where we no longer have to, to fight for that. Oh, that would make my job much easier, mm. Andy. Mm. Well, thank you for, for standing for it, for, for yourself, for your team members, for all of the people you serve and organizations you serve. And it's been a real gift to spend this time with you today. Yeah, me too. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Sirqua and audio editing services from John Nolan at Middle Mountain Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find the Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep the show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now more than ever.